Welcome to Thrive Church. We are so happy to have you with us, whether you're in person or online. One of our campuses, New Britain, Torrington, Terryville, we welcome you. My name is Judah Thomas, and I am the lead pastor here at Thrive Church, and I am so glad to have you with us today. And we are in a series called Tricking Jesus, and all throughout Scripture, We see different people trying to trick Jesus, trying to stump him, trying to to, to redirect the conversation to something else. And so they're always doing this. And and on top of that, he lived this scandalous life. I mean, from, from his birth until his ministry, everything he did was, was you know, giving people something to talk about. Like he was doing things that were out of the ordinary. He was always doing things that went against the culture of the day. I mean, he was just a scandalous person, and they loved to talk about him. They loved to try to trick him and trap him. And so the story that we're looking at today was when... Jesus was traveling from Judea to Galilee. Now, back in these days, they didn't have automobiles or trains or airplanes, so they traveled generally by walking. So they were going from Judea to Galilee, which was about a 63-mile trip. That's about as far as from, say, Hartford, Connecticut to Worcester, Massachusetts. So they're going that far, and they're going there on foot, and generally speaking, it would probably take two to three days for them to make this trip. So he's going there with his closest followers, his disciples, their entourage. They're going uh, ultimately to Galilee, and they had to pass through a Samaritan village of Sychar. So they're going through this village, and Jesus, as they're going on this trip, he gets tired, and he sits down beside a well who was, you know, it was named after uh, one of the forefathers of the faith, Jacob. This was Jacob's well. Jesus sits down there, and that's where we're going to pick up in John chapter 4, verse 6. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well at noontime. I don't know if you've ever been weary from something before, maybe hiking or, or walking or, or working or, you know, somebody nagging you all the time. You know, you're weary and just like to sit down, and that's what Jesus did. He sits down around noontime. It's the heat of the day, and soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. Now, he was alone at that time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. And she said to Jesus, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Now, now there's several things that I want to I notice and point out in this section that we read. The first thing is that Samaritans and Jews did not get along. It says that um, in, uh, oh, which one? Verse 9. It says, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. And this all came from a dispute that they had centuries and centuries before between the Jews and the Samaritans concerning the legitimacy of Eli the priest. Now, to us, it doesn't sound like a very significant dispute, but apparently it was a significant dispute, and, and, and the Samaritans and the Jews began to split off. And, and the Jews, they looked down upon the Samaritans because they didn't see them as pure-blooded. 
So the, the Samaritans were more intermarried. They would marry with other, other races. And the Jews, for whatever reason, they looked down on that. And then on top of that, there was a dispute about where they should worship. Should they worship in Jerusalem or should they worship at the Mount Gerizim? Where should they worship? And, and so, so there's this dispute that separated them two. Now they both believed in one God and they both believed in a coming of the Messiah, but there was this dispute and as a result they despised each other. Now there are Samaritans that are still in existence to this day. That There's about 800 of them and they claim that they can track their lineage back to you know, Moses and Aaron. And they still worship in much the same way that they used to. But there was this division between the, the Samaritans and the Jews. They had some similarities but some differences much like Republicans and Democrats. You know, there's some similarities. We both live in the country, you know, together. We're both citizens of the United States of America, but man, they are at their, each other's throats all the time. They look down on each other. They make fun of each other. They say horrible things about each other. They, they don't want to associate with people. There was a survey recently that came out about if people would be more upset if their children uh, turned away from the faith or turned away from the political party, and parents are more concerned about their kids turning away from the political party than a faith. Come on, this is not a good indication of where we are as a country. So anyhow, though, not to get too uh, off topic, there's this division between the two of them. And Jesus, in fact, used the used Samaritans as a harsh contrast in the parable that he told that many of us have heard of called the Good Samaritan. And the reason why this was a contentious parable was because in the Jewish mind, there was no such thing as a good Samaritan. It's like calling someone of the opposite political party good. You might never want to do that. And in much the same way, the Jews did not want to hear Jesus telling a story about a good Samaritan. So this woman is a Samaritan, but next, she is a woman. She's a woman. Now, in this culture, it was looked down upon for a man to talk to a woman that was not his spouse, especially in public, in front of everybody, and especially not someone who claimed to be a rabbi, a man who was serving God. So here he is. Jesus sits down. He begins talking with this woman, this, and she's a Samaritan, and, and they're there at noon. And that's another indication of what kind of woman this was. See, most people, when they would go to to collect water, they would go there in the morning or in the evening because that's when the day was coolest. But this lady, she was going there in the middle of the day at noontime when the sun was at its highest and the heat was the greatest. There she was, most likely because she wanted to avoid the stares of the other women, most likely because they didn't want to associate her and maybe she didn't really want to associate with them. She didn't want them looking down on her. She didn't want them criticizing her and talking about her. So she figured it would be better for her to go to the well when no one else was there. So here she goes, and she's going with her bucket, and Jesus then asks her for a drink. He says, will you please give me a drink? Now, again, we don't think very much of this. It's a common thing to ask someone for a drink. But in this day, Jews would not eat or drink anything from outsiders unless they purchased it from them. 
It, it, would, it would mark them as ceremonially unclean. They were not allowed to request or to receive a gift of food or drink from anyone that was not a Jew. This is why we just saw in, uh, that, that the disciples, they're, there, they're not with him, but the disciples actually went into the town to purchase some food. And here Jesus is asking this woman for a drink. And this must have shocked her. She was well aware that Jews don't associate with Samaritans. Men don't associate with women, and a Jew would never ask another person that was not a Jew for a drink. This was countercultural what he was doing there. But Jesus, he was always going against the social norms of the day. In your notes, Jesus was not concerned with what others thought. Maybe we get concerned with what other people think sometimes. We're concerned about how we present ourselves online. We're concerned about how they see us at work or or at school or or at a party or at a get-together. Jesus was not concerned with what others thought. And he was there for a reason. He was there at the well, at noontime, in the heat of the day, for a reason, because he had an appointment. We'll continue on in John chapter 4, verse 10. Jesus replied, if only you knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket. She said, and this well is very, very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob? Who gave us as well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? She's challenging him. Like, who do you think you are? You think you're better than Jacob? You think you can offer better water? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. Look, I'm already thirsty again. Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh and a bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water, and then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water anymore. I could just avoid the crowds altogether. I don't have to come here. I don't have to walk in the heat of the day. I don't have to carry my bucket and lower it down and pull it back out. Yeah, you know what? You got water that I'll never be thirsty again. Why don't you just give it to me? See, here, here's the trick. See, she said, like, like, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? Come in here. You're breaking all these rules of tradition, talking to me in the first place because I'm a Samaritan and I'm a Jew and, and you're not supposed to even ask me for, for a drink. Who do you think you are? And then you think you're better than our ancestors, Jacob? You don't have anything for me. But see, Jesus was offering something different to her, something that she did not already have. And you know, it's Jesus is offering something to quench the thirst in our soul. See, he was not just trying to, to quench a physical search, uh, thirst. He was quenching a spiritual thirst. He was, you know, here I am thirsty again. He was trying to quench a thirst that even Evian can't quench. You know, here's the thing. Everybody's complaining about gas prices, right? Gas prices stink. Yeah, I know. But why isn't anybody complaining about bottled water prices? You know, this is $2 for this bottle. You know what that factors in to be? That, that, that's about $16 
per gallon that, that we're paying for bottled water. And we're complaining about $4.50 of gas, and, and you're paying $16 a gallon. People say, oh, I want to strike oil. No, I want to strike water, personally. It's a lot more money in water than it. I mean, what do you even got to do to it? You pump it and you put it in a bottle. I mean, no refineries, none of that stuff. Anyhow, it's a little sidetracked there. Um, Jesus is saying, I'm going to give you water better than Evian. I'm going to give you water better than this well that Jacob dug. I'm going to give you not a water that is dying that will lead you to death, but I'm going to give you living water, water that will quench the thirst of your soul. We all have a quench deep inside. We all have this longing, this craving deep inside, something that we try to, to satisfy with so many other things. We try to satisfy with, with relationships. We try to satisfy with careers, with money, with education. We try to satisfy it with so many things. And here this woman was trying to satisfy her thirst with water, and Jesus is saying, I'm going to give you water and you'll never thirst again. See, every day she was coming to this well full of shame. She was coming to this well avoiding people. She was coming to this well feeling worthless, and Jesus was speaking to the need that she had, and then Jesus shows his hand. He says, hey, why don't you go get your husband? And she's like, well, I don't have a husband. He's like, yeah, you're right. You had five husbands, and the guy you're living with now isn't even your husband, and she's like blown away. She's like, what? what, what? Look what it says here in verse 19. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. Like, no kidding, right? It's like here she is, and she's talking. She's like, sir, sir, you must be a prophet. Look here, verse 20. You must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worship? I'm like, wait a minute, wow. You just totally changed the topic here, didn't you? Like Jesus saying, hey, you know, I, I know what's going on in your life. She's like, oh, you're, uh, how about worship? You know, where should you worship? Jesus replies, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming where, when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. But do you see how she tries to deflect the conversation away from her sin? She tries to steer it away. She's like, yeah, yeah, let's, I can tell you're a prophet, but let's talk about something else. I'm just going to trick him. Maybe he won't notice that I diverted the conversation. It's like, like political debates, right? They ask the, the, the presidential candidate a question, and they're like, yeah, but let me tell you about this instead. It's like they don't want to answer the question, and that's exactly what she was doing here. She's diverting the conversation. Jesus is saying, yeah, you know, you're right. You don't have a husband. You've had five of them. You're living in, in an unwholesome situation right now. And she's like, yeah, let's talk about worship instead. At least, at least maybe, it'll, maybe it'll take the focus off me. Let, let me bring up the disagreement between the Jews and the Samaritans. Like, we've been arguing this for thousands of years. Should we worship in Jerusalem or on Mount Gerizim? I'll bring that up and see what he has to say. Maybe he'll say that we're right, or maybe we'll get into an argument, but at least it takes the focus off of me. In your notes, don't ignore the Lord when he tries to direct you. See, God will try to direct you sometimes. He'll bring conviction into your life sometimes. He'll bring correction. He'll bring discipline. He'll bring instruction into your life. Don't ignore him when he brings correction. See, he brings correction. He brings healing and forgiveness to those that he loves. If he's bringing correction and discipline in your life, it's not because he doesn't like you. It's because he loves you and doesn't want you to live in those things any longer. So he brings these things and he brings these things out into the open. It says, you know, the location where you worship, that's not what I'm concerned with. You can worship on the mountain. You can worship in a valley. You can worship inside. You can worship outside. Like, like that's not really what matters. And, and all throughout these tests, we see people always are giving Jesus, like, these two options, 
two options. Should, should we do this or that? Should we do this or that? And then Jesus always takes the third route, the route nobody was thinking. She's like, oh, should we worship in Jerusalem or should we worship, uh, you know, here in, in, in Mount Gerasim? He's like, no, I want people to worship me in spirit and in truth. Continuing on in verse 25, the woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. Now, these people, that they believed in the coming Messiah. And their Bible was a lot more limited than even what the Jews had. The Jews had essentially the whole Old Testament. All the Samaritans had was the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That's all they had, the Torah, the Pentateuch. That, that was all that they had. But yet still through that, they were able to, 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 to deduce that there was a Messiah who would be coming. And so she says, yeah, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who's called Christ. And when he comes, he'll explain everything to us. And then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Like, he just comes right out and says it. Like, no parables, no tricks, no, no, no beating around the bush. He's like, yeah, yeah, I'm the Messiah. I'm he. And then just then, verse 27, the disciples came back, and they were shocked to find him talking to a woman, right? It's like, oh, he's talking to a girl. Oh, my goodness. Like, like what? hey, how are we going to spin this story? People are going to be asking, oh, man, we got another scandal on our hands. Just when we thought that things were cooling down a little, they're shocked to see him talking to a woman, but none of them had the nerve to ask him. What do you want with her, or why are you talking with her? Like, they're, 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 they're terrified, but none of them got the guts because they know how Jesus talks. They know how Jesus will correct it. Like, like, you go talk to him. No, you go talk to him. No, you know what? Let's just let him do whatever he wants to do. So there they are, and it says the woman, verse 28, the woman left her jar beside the, uh, the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I did. Could it possibly be, could he possibly be the Messiah? This is one of the first people in Scripture that Jesus revealed that he was the Messiah. Like the disciples hadn't even fully grasped that yet. And here he is, he's telling her, I am the Messiah. This woman, this person who was a Samaritan rejected by the Jews, she was most likely rejected by her people. That's why she was out there in the middle of the day. And yet she was accepted by Jesus that he went out of his way to have a conversation with her. With all of the influential people that Jesus could have come to, with all of the people that he could have had appointments with and he could have sat down and had conversations with, all the important people he could have revealed the nature of his uh, purpose in ministry, with all of those people he came to her, a rejected woman of a rejected civilization out there in the middle of the day at a sunny well, he comes to her. He had an appointment with her that she did not know about. And if you read John 4, you see almost the entire chapter is about this woman, and we don't even know her first name. They didn't even bother to tell us. Some people speculate what it might have been, but we don't know. We don't know what her name was. But she has an entire chapter written about her in this conversation that she has, and she leaves her jar behind. She sets it there. and leave. Now, now, this is not a small thing. She leaves it behind. She's leaving behind the very thing 
that she thought could quench her thirst, the thing that brought satisfaction into her life. She's leaving behind her past and the fact that she has to come there in the middle of the day when everyone is looking so nobody can see her and look down at her. She's leaving behind something that, that had great value. Imagine having, having a pot such as this. I'm sure they didn't have you know pots like we have now. Oh, we can have as many as we want. These were, were generally handmade. And if it gets a crack in that, man, it's devastating. How are you going to get water now? She leaves this behind and she runs to tell the people of her village that she met somebody that might be the Messiah because she was trading one water for another water. She was trading the the water that would only bring death. She was trading that for the living water, regular water for the water that brings life. In your notes, the things that you once thought were so important aren't as important once you come face to face with Jesus. The things that you think are so important the pursuit of happiness, the relationships, the career, the education, the financial status, the influential status you have online, all of these things that you once thought were so valuable, they pale in comparison to our relationship with Jesus Christ. Once you come face to face with Jesus Christ and he offers you that living water, then nothing else can compare. Nothing else will ever measure says in John 4, verse 39. This is after she goes and talks to them. It says, many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I did. And when they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed there for, for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. See, she went and she told and the people came and they heard and they believed. And it's funny because all throughout Jesus' ministry, we see him going into towns and people are rejecting him and they're trying to stone him and trying to push him off cliffs and they're plotting to murder him. But he comes here to this village and he talks to this unlikely person and she goes and she tells everybody and everybody generally is looking down on her. They don't want to associate with her. They know what kind of woman she is. They know that she's been around town, so to speak. They know who she is and what her reputation is. And here she comes saying, I'm going to put all that beside. I didn't even bring my water jug back because I found something that's better than that and it's the Messiah and I think you should come and hear him too. And everybody sees this change, this transformation. They're like, we don't know what happened to this lady, but we're going to go. We want to go and hear this person that she thinks might be the Messiah. And maybe you look at your life and think that God can never use me. I've just done too much stuff. How could God use a broken person like me? How could God use somebody so jacked up, so messed up like me? Surely he wants somebody better. Surely he wants somebody smarter. Surely God wants somebody more qualified. Surely God wants somebody more experienced. No, God wants to use you. God loves you. God cares about you. He wants to forgive you and heal you and mend your broken heart. In your notes, you are not too broken to be used by God. You are never too broken because God specializes in putting broken things back together again. And when he puts together the brokenness of your life, he will then use you. Think about how long it took this woman to go from sinner 
to saint. From, from, from somebody who was miserable to somebody who became a missionary. She just turned around at the drop of the hat. I don't have it all figured out. I don't have all my theology right. I don't exactly know what's going on here, but I'm going to tell everyone I know. And people came and they flocked. And we see even throughout the, the ministries of years and years later that the people in this region were more open to the gospel than just about anybody else. And it all started with a woman who was broken. And a woman who tried to trick Jesus and divert him away from her sin. Some Christian traditions say that she converted and led to Christ Nero's own daughter. I don't know if it's true or not, but that's what some people say. And as a result, her and her entire family were martyred and put to death because of what they did and what they believed. But she was going to tell. She was going to tell every person she came in contact with. She was going to tell them about this man that she met at a well who told her her entire life. And really all he did was just bring up the fact that she was messed up and she needed a savior. And let me tell you, he wants you. You might try to trick him. You might try to appear better than you are. This is why we dress up for church, isn't it? We dress up for church so people think, wow, they dress nice. They must have their life all together. When deep inside we know, no, no, I don't have it all together. I'm barely holding on as it is. But maybe, maybe you'll think that I do. See, Jesus wants you. He's sees through all of that. He sees past all of that. And he knows your past, your present, and your future. And we may, may feel his conviction in our life. And we try to change the topic. I don't want to talk about that. I'm going to turn on the radio. I'm going to turn on the TV. I'm going to go on social media for a while because I don't want to think about the state of my own heart and my own soul. But he sees you. And he knows you. And he understands you. And he wants you. And he wants to use you. See, he's offering you something better than what you're carrying. I don't know what you're carrying. I don't know what's in your bucket. Money, relationships, career, education, influence, respect, things. I don't know what's in your bucket. But God wants to give you something better. Jesus wants to give you something better. It's time for us to lay down what we're holding on to. It's time for us to leave our past in the past. It's time for us to hold on to the things that we think may bring satisfaction because Jesus is offering you a better way. He's offering you the living water. He's offering you salvation and eternal life. And he will quench the thirst of our soul. He will forgive our sin. He'll heal the sick. He will set us free from our addiction from our bondage and he will deliver us and bring us into life everlasting because of what Jesus did. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you now and we thank you. We thank you for your goodness and we thank you that you have saved so many of us here, that you've forgiven our sins and we thank you that you had time for this woman at a well, in the hot sun, who was looked down on by even her own people. And if you have time for her, you've got time for us. You know, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Lord, he's sitting down at the well wanting to talk with you. 
He wants to forgive you. He wants to offer you this living water as well. If you believe that God raised Jesus from the dead, you say with your mouth, Jesus, you are my Lord, then you will be saved. Won't you call on his name now? Won't you say, Jesus, you are my Lord. I want the living water that only you can give. So we come to you, Lord, broken, abused, messed up, addicted, confused, frustrated, shamed, hurt, disillusioned, full of doubt. We come to you, Lord, and we receive your living water. We receive your forgiveness. Lord, we say, have your way in us. We want to put you first. We thank you that you are offering us something better. Something better than what we're carrying. Something better than our past and our shame. You are offering us something that will truly quench the thirst of our soul. And we receive it. And we thank you for it. And we thank you for your forgiveness, your mercy, and your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.